First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12 is going to be our text this morning. Allow me just to read it and uh, ask you to follow along and listen as I read the Word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with Him that is with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you help us this morning. As we see here in the last couple verses, the Holy Spirit helps those who preach the good news. God, would you help me this morning preach the good news? I ask that the Holy Spirit... uh, gives me power that I do not have in myself, that my authority will not be rooted in my position or my own person, but in the Scriptures. And God, as you take this word and apply it uh, to, to the hearts of those listening, may it be powerful. Convict us, assure us, strengthen us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen to this. Between now and 2050, there are going to be trillions of dollars of wealth that will transfer to children and their heirs. And what's interesting is high net worth parents, that means parents with a lot of money, worry now that their children are not prepared to inherit the wealth that will be theirs one day. That was said by Keith Banks, the president of U.S. Trusts. So the baby boomer generation, evidently, all right, is passing on in the next couple years trillions of dollars of inheritance to their children and to their children's children. Now, if you are anything like me, that doesn't include you, all right? (laughs) We'll be happy if we get $100, all right? I won't know what to do with myself. Um, 
Well, there's two things that just strike me with that quote. One is this, the massive amount of money that is about to be passed from, from one generation to another. Trillions of dollars. That's a lot of cash. The second thing is this, these parents who, are, who have this kind of cash and they're passing it on don't want to. They are worried about their kids and they don't think their kids are prepared to receive and handle the cash that's coming to them. Actually, 55% of these parents that are high net worth say that they are not going to pass on their inheritance to their kids. So they have no plans to. So that could be you as well. I apologize if your parents are hooked up. Well, why would parents not want to pass on this kind of wealth to their kids? Well, we make reality shows about these kids, don't we? I won't give any names, but there are reality shows about kids that receive large inheritances, and what we see is it ruins their lives. All right, so these playboys who are, are drinking and smoking it up and just living life and angry and bitter and uh, entitled, right? You don't, it's fun to like watch him on the reality show, but you would not want to be his friend. Or uh, spoiled women who have never worked a day in their life and they just can't imagine why anybody would ever want to work a day in their life. Well, either way you slice it, um, what we have seen is that an inheritance ultimately fails you. All right, so on one hand, those of you who may get a big inheritance or those who do, well, it can be squandered. I think of the prodigal son in the Bible. He just squanders his inheritance, lives it up. A lot of people will do that. It can be squandered. It could be stolen. It will fade one way or another. Or maybe you are the wise type and, and you invest it. But still at the end of the day, you're going to end up in a casket eight feet under the ground. And your inheritance will still be here. Either way, it's ultimately going to fail you. And then those who try to find happiness in their inheritance or happiness in these material things, well, that really is where it gets ugly. There's nothing more disgusting than an unhappy rich kid who puts a bullet in his head because he has not found happiness in what he's been pursuing. The, the readers, uh, the original readers of 1 Peter were most likely Christians who have lost their family inheritance. A number of theologians believe that these would be Christians who were part of persecution in Rome, and now they are scattered to these five regions that we mentioned last week. They're scattered across the world there, and they have then lost family inheritance. Now listen, to become a Christian in the first century for many people meant that you walk away from your family inheritance. 
To become a Christian meant that you often will lose your job or lose your land, lose your home, lose your families as a result. To become a Christian in, in this ancient world meant that you lose here on this earth. Now, what Peter wants to convey at the beginning of his letter here is the same thing that I hope to convey this morning. I want to lift eyes off of the things of this world that are corrupt, that are fading, that are perishable. I want to lift our eyes up off of these perishable things so that you might see an inheritance that is yours. Now listen, if you are a Christian, you have a family inheritance that is coming to you. Not just metaphorically, but you have an actual physical inheritance that is yours. And I want you to see this inheritance this morning. And I want you to focus your eyes on this inheritance. As we go, there are four realities about this inheritance which I want you to remember. I'm going to give them to you right now, then we're going to work through each of them. Number one, rebirth secures your inheritance. Number two, faith guards your inheritance. Number three, suffering prepares you for your inheritance. And number four, salvation in Christ is the totality of your inheritance. So let's dive into the text. Are you ready? All right, let's start first with verse three. There in verse three, we see that our rebirth secures your inheritance. We see God says the Father of Jesus Christ, so not just general God, but specific God, the God that Christ has revealed to be God, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit has, he says, caused you to be born again. Everybody say, born again. again. Alright, so my barber, when he first found out that I was a Christian and a pastor, trying to connect, you know, like good barbers do, and he's a great barber, by the way, He's like, oh, my, my mom is a Christian. I was like, oh, good, okay. And he said, but she's the born-again type. Are you the born-again type of Christian? And I was like, well, that's the only kind of Christian I know. That was literally my response. Because to be a Christian means that you're born again. Now, I get what he's asking. And in American culture, born again, you know, we think of Bob Dylan or we think of Born again sort of has been, uh, uh, I don't know, a certain style of Christianity has been given the name born again. I get that. But here's the reality. If you are a Christian, you are born again. All right? So we don't have Christians, general Christians, and then born again Christians. But if you're a Christian, you have been born again. A rebirth has taken place in your soul. 
Now let's think about your first birth, all right? The birth that brought you physically into this world. Tuesday is my birthday. There's a response that usually comes with that. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Sorry. Tuesday is my birthday, and uh, it's funny. Every year on my birthday, friends and family will give me gifts. All right? Just kidding. As if I didn't any, any, anything. All right? So here, my birthday, I get gifts. Here's the reality, all right? A little secret. I don't even remember the day I was born. Okay? I didn't do anything that day. It was the most passive day of my life. All right? And so for some reason, people give me gifts and not my mom. All right? Well, think about your birth. I did nothing to contribute to my conception. I did nothing to contribute to growing in the womb. And on January 20th, 1981, I did nothing to bring myself into this world. It just happened to me. Are you tracking here? Look at this verse. According to His great mercy, all right, remember last week and the understanding of our salvation flowing from God's love and mercy for you, according to His great mercy, not because of who you were going to be, not because of who He thought you might become, not because of some intrinsic value that you had or how much faith, because of His mercy, it says, He caused you to be born again. So friends, let me ask this question. What did you do What did you do to be born again? Nothing. God caused you to be born again. In the same way that you were brought physically into this world, God brought you into the delight of His kingdom through giving you rebirth. Now this gives us great hope as we consider our lives and as we consider walking through a world of trials and suffering in this way. If, if it was God's mercy that got me here, it will also be God's mercy that keeps me here. Are you tracking with me there? So keep that in mind because we're going to come back to that theme in just, in, just a little bit, uh, <clears throat> in just a little bit. Now as you have been reborn, you have a new father. And with a new father comes a new inheritance. If you need an illustration of this, go and watch the new version of Annie that's in theaters right now. Little girl in the orphanage. All right, rich dad comes along and adopts her. So she was, listen, not his son or her, his daughter. She was not his child. And he then made her his child. This is the idea of adoption. So you were not God's child. You were not his son. You were not his daughter. He then at some point, if you are a Christian, caused you to be reborn and now you are his child. What does this mean? Well, you have a father and you are now an inheritor of all that is the father's. You have an inheritance in God. Does anybody know in Jewish culture which child would, would receive the father's inheritance? 
generally. It was the firstborn son, right? In the Bible, Jesus is described as the firstborn among the dead. Jesus raises victoriously from the grave. He re- he, he, he's alive. He was dead and now he is alive and he is our firstborn. Now listen, he then receives all that is the Father's and all who are in Christ receive all that is Christ's. And so we see here then that our rebirth is rooted there in verse 3 in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and it says to an inheritance. To an inheritance. So let's talk then about this inheritance. What does this mean? Well, first it means, friends, that you have a living hope. You have a living hope no matter your circumstances in life, what you walk through, you have a hope that is alive. Well, what do we mean by a living hope? Well, an inheritance, a physical, earthly inheritance is essentially a fading hope. It's a fading hope that will one day be a dead hope. It's a hope that is corruptible. It's a hope that, will, uh, that, is, that is shakeable. It's a, it's a hope that, that will not last. Well, you can hope in other religions. You can hope in other people. But, but no one has risen from the dead but Christ. You see, our hope in Christ is, as it's described here, a living hope. Hope And so for these Christians, as they are walking through the questions of this difficult life, they must know that they have a living hope in a living Messiah, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is alive. All right, so you might be living in Baltimore. Let's let's say you're single, you've left your family, Uh, you have no friends, you feel alone in this city, well, it's quite possible that you feel the same way that one of the original readers would have felt. And friend, you have a living hope in Jesus Christ. So let's, let's talk about this inheritance that we have in Him. What does it look like? Well, there in verse 4, he describes the inheritance that is ours. He says the inheritance is these, look at these three words, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Now notice that those three words are all negatives. What that means is, is that as Peter is about to explain to you how wonderful and magnificent this inheritance actually is, vocabulary fails him. And all he can do, the best he can do, is compare this inheritance with an earthly inheritance. So, for instance, an earthly inheritance is perishable. An earthly inheritance is defiled. An earthly inheritance is fading. And so Peter then trying to explain how magnificent this inheritance is, all he can do is just say, it's not that. It's all that this is not. So it is imperishable and it is undefiled and it is unfading. And not only this, but he says it's secure. This inheritance is 
secure. Now, how is it secure? Well, this brings us to our next point. Your faith guards your inheritance. Your faith guards it. But here's a good question for us to ask this morning. If our faith guards this inheritance, where is the inheritance? Well, he answers that. Look at verse 4. Your inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Now, all Christians believe that we have an inheritance that is ours. All Christians believe that we have a great treasure that is ours as children of the King. But the difference between false prosperity teachers and gospel preachers is the location of this treasure. You see, some would say, you are a child of the king, therefore, you have treasures in this earth. Well, this is certainly not the reality for Peter's readers here. They are not experiencing massive treasures and inheritance in this earth. So what do we make of this? How can we be children of the King, yet go through the kind of sufferings and go through the kind of trials that we are going through? Well, here's what Peter says. The location matters. Your inheritance is not in this earth, but he says your inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Well, listen, this is actually good news. If, if your inheritance was in this earth your inheritance would not make it beyond your death. If your inheritance was in this earth, that would mean it's fading. That would mean it's corruptible. You see, just as vocabulary fails to describe how wonderful your inheritance is in Christ, this world cannot contain your inheritance. This world must be one day remade in order for your inheritance to be revealed here. And so your inheritance then, while you are a stranger and an alien suffering in a foreign land, your inheritance is kept for you in heaven. And that is why it's secure. Now what guards your inheritance? Your faith. Look at verse 5. He says, he says look, it's ready. Your inheritance is ready for you. Meaning God isn't just like, putting it together or trying to accumulate it somehow, but he's saying your full inheritance, listen, if you are a Christian, I want you to hear this literally speaking, your inheritance in heaven is ready for you now. It's prepared. It's there. It will be revealed then, but it's ready now. And what guards this inheritance that is indescribable, what guards it in heaven is, he says, your faith. Your faith guards it. Well, this means then that we must remain in faith, doesn't it? We as believers must remain in faith. This then means that this idea of easy believism where someone says, yeah, I, she prayed a prayer when she was six and I know that she doesn't believe it anymore and she's just kind of doing her own thing and she's 
but I know she's a Christian because she prayed a prayer one time, and she really meant it, and she believed. No. You must remain in faith. Your faith guards your inheritance. Well, this is why then, say, forsaking the assembly is so devastating. Because, see, when we gather together as a church, what are we doing? We're being strengthened in our faith. Oh, we have the means of grace that are delivered to you, the preaching of the Word, the, the Lord's Supper, uh, baptism, uh, coming together in worship and encouragement, fellowship. These, the, this isn't just simply some social gathering or function, but rather these are the means by which your faith is strengthened and equipped and, 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 and encouraged. The greatest damage that you could do to a loved one is harm their faith. What are you doing, say, within your marriage that harms the faith of your spouse? Or what are you doing within your friendship that is harming the faith of your friend? Parents, those of you who, like me, are not going to be able to have a lot of money to pass on as an inheritance. Well, what is the greatest thing that we can pass on to our children? It's the faith, is it not? It's the faith. If we pass on the faith to our children and we teach them the faith and, and we encourage them in the faith, well, they have an inheritance far beyond anything that we could leave them. You know, I think of my, my grandfather. Um, growing up, I remember he would sort of joke about the fact that, that, uh, that there's not going to be much left for us. Inheritance. Not going to be, you know... He would buy us a Frosty from Wendy's and be like, well, there, there it is. That's your, pretty much your inheritance. I, I had about $5 left, and it's going in five Frosties now. That was when Frosties were a dollar. But my grandpa, he's in his 80s now, and I'm just thinking of his life, and I'm thinking of his kids and his grandkids and his great-grandkids. And you know what he has passed on is the teachings of the gospel equipped and strengthened his kids and then his grandkids in the faith. Friends, he, is, he, he has left us a legacy, an inheritance far beyond anything he could ever provide. Your faith guards your inheritance. Well, does, does this mean then that we could ultimately lose it? Does this mean that we could somehow lose our salvation, lose our inheritance because, it's, uh, because our faith guards it? And so what if I fall out of faith? Well, here's the reality. You must remain in faith in order to receive this inheritance. But where does your faith come from? You see, what we have seen is that the same Spirit which gave you rebirth, which gave you saving faith, that same Spirit perseveres your faith today. I mean, it was a miracle when you had faith that day you first believed, and it remains a miracle today as you continue to believe. And friends, those of you who are in Christ will continue to have faith until the end. Faith is a gift from God. And it is the very means that he, uh, by which he then guards the inheritance that is yours. Now, 
Now we get into the hard stuff, okay? That in some way was a very long introduction. Because we need to talk about trials. We need to talk about suffering. If, if faith is a God-given gift, and it's the, it's the means by which God guards our inheritance, our faith, listen, must be refined. Let's go on in the text here. Getting into verse 6, we see that suffering prepares you for your inheritance. Look at verse 6. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Friends, he's saying you are rejoicing in this right now. For a little while. That little while means your life right now. This, 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 uh, this season of being a, a stranger and an alien. For a little while, you may have been grieved by various trials. That word various means all sorts. All sorts of trials. As a pastor, I walk with many of you. I know many of you intimately. And I can say that in this room, uh, you have been grieved by all sorts of trials. Why? Why? If we are children of the King, if God is indeed our Father, and we have an inheritance that is, why would we walk through this life grieved by all kinds of trials and sufferings? Well, he gets right to it. He says, so that. So that, so that is very important in this text, isn't it? Meaning, this is why. Here, this is, here is the end. This is the, this is the reason. You've been grieved by all sorts of trials. He says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You are going through all sorts of trials so that your faith may be refined. So that your faith may be proven. So that it might be strengthened. So that you might know it is true and it is real. So that if it is false, you will know that. Right? And you will then fall on your knees in repentance and say, God, wake me up to faith. As gold is refined by fire, your faith is refined by the fires of suffering. I think of the story of Job in the Bible. He was a man who had everything. Beautiful family, great business, etc. Through a natural disaster, his, his children, all of them, dead. Loses his entire 
family, except for his wife. Uh, then his business is destroyed. His wealth is lost. His health plummets, boils now all over his body. His wife says, just curse God and die. His friends come to him and they, I believe, love him. They mean well. And his friends say, there must be something wrong with you. You must be sinning in some way. You must lack faith. You know, God rebukes Job's friends. Why? It's because in this case, the mystery of Job's suffering was revealed. The reason for Job's suffering was so that his faith may be proven true. Let's see how much he can take. Will you still trust me? Your family is gone. Will you still trust me? Your business is destroyed. Will you still trust me? You've lost every penny you've ever owned. Will you still trust me? Your health plummets. Will you still trust me? For a little while, all kinds of trials so that your faith may be refined. You know, in, in, in our church services, we often sing songs. We sing songs that are happy sometimes. Like, oh, happy day. Yay. Then other times we sing songs that speak to those um, who are suffering. Even today we sing, praise to the Lord. And I don't know if you caught it, but he said, praise to the Lord who doth prosper thy work and defend thee. Surely his goodness and his mercy here daily attends you. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do. Walking through a world of trials. Another song that we sing, ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. You see, we have to be reminded of this all the time, don't we? Because we face suffering and we face trials as a regular part of our life and we must be reminded that even in the midst of suffering that God is still in control and that He has in His sovereignty for your good all things work together for good to them who love Him. He has ordained this moment for you so that your faith might be purified and refined. I was uh, listening to an interview on, NP on NPR the other day, and uh, they were interviewing a man who, um, uh, they, they call him bi-gender, which means that in his mind he flips on a daily basis from male to female. It was a, a hard interview to listen to, I mean, just tears, pain, the pain that he walks through, uh, walks through life with. Um, he's then went from marriage to out of, outside of a marriage to then surgeries and, and trying to change his gender so that he might be comfortable, but then he flips back to being a man. I mean, just confusion. And so this entire interview was just wrought with this question of how does he then on the outside live who he is on the inside? 
and all it's brought, to, brought, brought in his life is pain and heartbreak. I wanted to, like, with my voice, reach through the podcast and say, brother, trust in Christ. Trust, like, in this world, you will have suffering. This world, like, things are off kilter. Things are not operating as they would have operated without sin in this world. Things are messed up. Brother, trust in Christ. Trust His Word. Believe that He died for your sins on the cross. Repent. Just follow Him. Trust what you see in the Bible. Follow it. Obey it. Trust Him. Now, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden your mind is going to be straightened out. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you won't have any sufferings because for a while in this world you will have all kinds of sufferings and trials. But the question is this, will you trust Him? And I wanted to reach to him and say, brother, you're, if you trust in Christ, there is a full inheritance beyond comprehension in this world that is ready. It is ready for you and one day it will be revealed and blessings will be poured on your head. I wanted to tell him Psalm, uh, uh, Psalm 56, 8, which says that God stores tears in a bottle. Which means that sometimes our suffering is something we walk with. And God remembers every tear that you've ever cried. He remembers every bit of your trial. There's not one that He forgets. You're in a bad marriage. You're trying to love. You're trusting God. You don't realize it right now, but your faith is being refined and purified. And God remembers all those tears, and one day an inheritance will be poured down on your head. You are single and you crave to be in a marriage and God hasn't brought along a spouse and you're just trusting God going through this world and you must know that your faith is being purified and God has ordained this for you right now and that one day blessings will be poured down on your head. You have problems at work and they are endless and you remind yourself in the middle of it that God has ordained this moment for me and He's doing something, and He's refining, and you're trusting Him, and you're having faith in Him, and your faith then is strengthened, and one day all will be revealed and blessings will be poured down upon you. One day all sufferings, one day all trials, all tears will be transformed, and God will pour upon you the sum of all joy. Now, as our rebirth secures our inheritance, as faith guards our inheritance, as suffering prepares us for our inheritance, our last point, salvation is, in Christ, is the totality of our inheritance. Look at verse 9. He says, here's the point of suffering obtaining then the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The salvation of your souls. And then he goes on, he says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied 
about the grace that was to be yours, they inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ was indicating when they predicted the sufferings of Christ and His glories. Listen, Christ is at the center of your inheritance. The object of your faith is Christ. Now, when we talk about faith, it's so easy to just generalize it here and talk about faith in God. Do you have faith in God? Well, listen, let me, let me put it this way. I asked my daughter if I could share this story, so I'm doing this with her permission. She was counseling a, a child in her class, all right? I'm proud of my daughter. He said, he said I'm, they were sharing notes with each other. He said, I'm, I'm afraid to die. And she wrote back and said, do you believe in God? And he said, yes. And then she wrote back and said, but do you believe in Jesus? That he died for your sins? And I'm like, ah, the clarification. Wonderful. Listen, belief, faith in general God, um, disconnecting that from the work of Christ is belief in an idol. It's a mere idol. The God that we believe is the God who has revealed Himself to us in Christ. In Christ's sufferings. In the work of the cross. In His glorious resurrection. This is God. This is our definition. This is the object of our faith. And what He says here is that the work of the prophets in the Old Testament was all about Christ, who He was, when He's coming, what His sufferings will be like, why He's going to suffer, meaning they worked for you. The Old Testament writers, Hosea and Jeremiah and Isaiah, they were writing through the power of the Holy Spirit so that you might know that Christ is your hope. And then He goes on and He says in this Christ is then preached to you, and He is announced to you by the same Spirit. So the same Spirit that inspired the prophets to write is the same Spirit then, right now in this moment, that helps me preach so that you might know Christ. Because friends, Christ here is the object of your faith. Your inheritance is in Christ. All that will be Christ's, or that is Christ, will be yours. Your inheritance is Christ. Let me put it this way. If you go through life, you go through life and you never accomplish your dreams, and you get to the end, and your inheritance is revealed, in that moment, will Christ be enough? If you go through life and you don't get the job that you want and you end up working side jobs your entire life and just trying to make ends meet, when all is revealed, will Christ be enough for you? The physical suffering that you face right now, let's say it is never relieved in this world. And you get to the end and all is revealed. Will Christ be enough for you? 
You see, all that we desire now is fulfilled and will be fulfilled in all that Christ is. So friends, I want you to know Christ this morning. I want you to know Christ. The Holy Spirit wants you to know Christ. The Holy Spirit moved through these prophets. The Holy Spirit moving right now as I am proclaiming these truths to you so that you might know Christ. Have you ever heard these truths announced? And have you believed them? Have you heard the news of Christ and counted it as good news in your life? Have you ever called on His name? Do you know that there then is an inheritance that is stored up for you and ready in heaven and your faith is being refined by the trials of this life so that you might be prepared for that moment when it bursts forth and all is revealed. Look at this last line here in verse 12. First of all, the angels don't care about the trillions of dollars that are, are about to pass from one generation to another. The angels don't care to look into this. The angels don't care about trivial health, wealth, and happiness in this world. These aren't the things that the angels enjoy looking into. The angels don't care about things that are corrupt. The angels don't care about things that are decaying. The angels don't care to look upon things that are fading. Listen, in our flesh, when we see something in this world that is just absolutely amazing, I mean, just wealth beyond comprehension and just the angels are not gazing upon that. The angels, he says, long to look into this. What is it that has kept the attention of the angels? Well, it is this redemptive story. It is this inheritance. It is the inheritance that is waiting for you in heaven. It is salvation's story being opened up in Christ and seeing God's people redeemed and seeing them persevere through faith and then making it till the end and then all is being... These are the things that the angels gaze upon. These are the things that they look upon. Salvation in Christ. It is the most remarkable, beautiful, mysterious, and awe-inspiring inheritance that the angels have ever seen. Do you believe this? Will you trust Him? Let's pray. God, we ask that You increase our faith as we walk through times of suffering, as we walk through trials, as we walk through questions of this life. Lord, we need Your help. We recognize that even today we are 100% dependent upon You. God, would You continue to preserve us? Continue to seal us. We thank You for the promises that You have given. God, would we would you help us trust your promises as we face the challenges of life so that our faith might be refined 
and so that one day we might be prepared to receive our inheritance in Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.